We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are less than 24 hours away from the beginning of the NFL draft, the day that we've all been waiting for. And we've really, you can tell that uh, it's getting close because the amount of crazy rumors uh, that are flying around right now have just reached, I think, its apex. And it might still get even crazier over, over this next uh, little period of time here before uh, the, the, uh, the clock fi- officially starts uh, for the Bengals on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, it's getting to the point, too, where there's so much being said that even though a lot of it seems kind of improbable at a glance or we're we're kind of just fatigued at the amount of things that we're being bombarded with we're also probably at the point where a number of these things are probably true it's just impossible at this point to tell which ones are which you know it's like a needle in a haystack totally so uh good luck guessing which theories are correct and good luck anticipating the number of 
uh, like dependent variables, the, the dominoes that could fall that you never even thought of uh, when the unexpected thing that you didn't think of happens. Uh, there's there's no real way to prepare for, for everything going on. Even the teams, as much as they have their plans maybe successfully hidden from us, the dominoes are, are subject to change their plans too. So even if some reporters have like really well infiltrated some team uh, war rooms or whatever – everything can get inverted and just thrown into a tailspin by who knows what. Exactly. So, I mean, there's, you know, smoke signals out of Miami that, that the Dolphins could look to trade into the top three, but not for a quarterback. Uh, I think I heard earlier that the Falcons might consider moving up into the top five. So that, that I assume would mean that they're trying to get Jeff Akuda because it feels like cornerback is the direction they're going in. It's just a matter of how aggressive they're going to be in that trade up. I think that CJ Henderson definitely still a possibility for them inside the top 10, but if they move inside the top five, that that's obviously a, right. play, a play for Akuda. So tons of stuff going on right now. Before we get fully into the draft stuff here, let's talk about the big trade uh, that happened on Tuesday uh, with Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement and uh, going or getting shipped down to Tampa Bay. Uh, New England also sends a seventh rounder and they receive a fourth rounder for a guy who was previously retired. Pretty good deal, I think, if you're the Patriots. But what yeah. do we make of Gronk landing in Tampa Bay? What are the ripple effects there, not only with, with O.J. Howard, uh, but everywhere else? Well, it's kind of messy, in my opinion. And with a case like Gronkowski, you know, if only to justify the trade and to kind of, uh, you know, serve the the political demands of Tom Brady, Gronkowski will be the favored player. Like, it's not going to be a competition between him and O.J. Howard. Rob, Gronk- Rob Gronkowski will win whatever theoretical competition they have. And O.J. Howard's on the last year of his rookie deal. Gronkowski last played in 2018. He played 13 games last year. Prior to that, the last time he played 16 games was back in 2011. 2011. Yep, so, been, a, been a minute. Yeah, and the last time that he played in 13 games, I know he was beat up in these games, but still, he played basically every snap in 13 games. He played 839 snaps in 13 games. Two years ago, he caught 47 passes for 682 yards, three touchdowns, and 72 targets. So, to me, that sounds like a really low floor and a ceiling that is very questionable because it's the same quarterback and there's a lot more competition for targets because Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, no matter how highly you think of Julian Edelman and I don't even remember who was on that stupid team back then, um, <laughs> whoever it was, it's like they're not Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. So unless you think Tom Brady is at 43 years old going to turn back into more like 2012 Tom Brady. And if you think that if, of all circumstances, playing with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the same field will be the scenario that just brings back this Rob Gronkowski that already didn't exist in New England. I don't really know what to say. Like, it's it's one of those things that's possible in the same sense that anything is. But uh, you see some people ranking Rob Gronkowski like sixth, fifth, no. fourth in <laughs> no. fantasy tight ends for 2020. And I think it's absolute nonsense. I think at best he's the 12th tight end and even then you have to understand you're taking on a lot of risk for no discount it's like to me he's to the exact same category of a fantasy asset as somebody like eric ebron or something like that 
Okay, I think that that's you know, it's like an important framing there, and and like personally. I think the year off, while that definitely helps, you know, kneel up, or heal up the bumps and bruises. We all remember, you know, kind of how rickety Gronk was there towards the end of his uh, stint in New England. I just think that the year off, the amount of weight that he's lost and then is going to now have to put back on, it's gonna, it's just asking a lot to see Gronk play playing a full season or even really close to it at that full effectiveness. And like you said. I mean, Tom Brady didn't choose Tampa Bay out of nowhere, and you know maybe he's had it in mind that, that Gronk would eventually come down and join him. But he he chose Tampa Bay, you'd think, in part because of the weapons that they already have with, with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So, like you said, there's just so much uh, so much competition for targets, um, even if like. Mike Evans maybe gets squeezed as far as his target ceiling is concerned to help accommodate for for Gronk or whatever. I just don't really see it all playing out in a way where Gronkowski ends up anywhere close to that like top six tight end. I, I think that he's a very very risky fringe top twelve type of tight end, someone that that especially when you bake in the the draft day uh, acquisition cost. I probably will be light on Gronkowski, maybe to the point of just having zero shares by the time that like the season actually rolls around. Yeah, I won't have any unless it's something like a weird scenario where I trade for him afterward because of some reason or another. Uh, But I'm not going to pay the draft price for a guy who if I make projections down far enough, it would probably have Gronk at like 15 or 16 or something. Uh, I know that for certain I would take, I don't know, the the obvious top, however many of Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz, uh, George Kittle. Uh, I would take Tyler Higby well ahead of Rob Gronkowski, Hunter Henry. I'd take Blake Jarwin. So it's it's basically like like after Evan Ingram and TJ Hawkinson, like I might put Gronkowski ahead of Noah Fant just because I'm very skeptical of Noah Fant <laughs> relative to the <laughs> average part of person. The brand. Yeah, but I'm I'm skeptical of Noah Fant and I don't want to rank Gronkowski ahead of him. So whatever that tells you. There you go. Um, and then what do you think happens? There's no way that Tampa Bay goes into training camp with these three tight ends, right? Uh, so it's funny. OJ Howard is playing on about 4 million. If I remember right, uh, remember right 4 million this last season of his four year contract. And that makes him the least expensive out of Gronkowski. Who's about 10 million and great. Who's like seven or something like that. So they basically can't do this. Like you can't spend that much of your cap. In addition to Brady's contract as a 43 year old quarterback, um, they're tight against the cap, and how are they going to justify keeping a, a player like Howard or, or Brate? I guess like a, they might need to get rid of both Brate and Howard. But what I think they'll do is get rid of Howard. Uh, I know they're kind of trying to take a tough guy stance right now, like oh we're not going to let him go without proper value. It's like you don't have a negotiation position, dude. Value is something is a concept that doesn't come into play at all. You don't have a, a negotiating position you're you're entitled to nothing we're robbing we're basically robbing you at this point uh or you can just uh burn your house down so i can't burglarize it whichever one sounds better to you um (laughs) so it's just they're gonna have to let go of howard or rather i guess i should say they're going to have to understand that howard will not contribute to their team and they can choose to either take some compensation to, to offset that fact or out of whatever misguided principle uh, they can spend money to get nothing out of it. I don't know which sounds better to them. Um, I guess they could have in mind some scenario where they 
get a compensatory draft pick for him after letting him play this one last year. But how much of a market do you think he's going to have if you have him splitting snaps with Cam Brate and Rob Gronkowski and making him fundamentally a blocking specialist of the three? It's nonsense. And the, the tight end position in this offense, as Arians designed it, already doesn't do anything. So they're going to have to basically let Brady redesign the offense, which – uh, we'll see how that goes. That mm-hmm. sounds easier said than done to me because Arians is a stubborn guy who doesn't get along with people when when they piss him off, basically. So we'll see. I think this could actually get a little bit weird. Uh, I think they'll be a good team, but I think it could pretty quickly turn into one of those things like a Seth Wickersham report comes out in October about like the you know there's there's so uh, discontent in Tampa Bay between Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and like it was in New England. Uh, like three years before any of this actually ended. Um, they'll, they'll be good, but I think it's going to be kind of like a contentious sort of like logistically difficult uh, arrangement. And they're also it's it, they're doing like dream team stuff, you know? These yeah, this feels a little bit like 2011 Eagles. And yeah, there's going to be a shortened off season for that, too, just like it was yeah. back then. Yeah, and it's like we don't. And also, Bruce Arians is not Andy Reid, nor is he the eighteen and one Patriots when they had a bit of a dream team thing going on. It's like you're you're not Andy Reid, you're not Bill Belichick. Tom Brady was never forty three, and Rob Gronkowski never took a year off after showing significant regression at age thirty one. The last time any of these things worked, it's kind of it's very presumptuous, and I think it's it's a kind of like a bit of hubris that they even that they even take up the, this whole strain of, of, of a like management philosophy. It's like OJ Howard's a good player. He's better than Rob Gronkowski. Now, just because you didn't find a way to use OJ Howard doesn't mean that it makes sense for you to spend money at that position. Like the problem is you. So just get over yourself, save yourself a fourth round pick. And uh, when this 43 year old quarterback turns out to be a 43 year old man, who isn't the same as what you paid for, uh, you know, you're, you're not quite, you don't look quite as ridiculous afterward. Um, but I don't know. It's like the Arians offense cannot feature even Gronkowski ostensibly. So he has to, they have to fundamentally change the routes of Godwin and Evans, the drop back distance for Brady. They have to change the routes for the tight end position. Maybe they can make all these audibles. Maybe, maybe this entirely like option based pass route system can work somehow. Um, even though it's the first time Arians ever worked with Brady and Gronkowski and the first time Arians ever worked with concepts like these. Uh, and maybe the fact that they have a bad offensive line won't matter either. But I am not chasing Gronkowski. No, I don't think so either. And I think you, you bring up a good larger point about, you know, these are these are two giant forces kind of pulling in opposite directions. At least history says that they are. I mean, Brady just doesn't fit the mold of what an Arians quarterback has looked like uh, in the past. So there, there's you know going to be a lot of concerns sessions to be made one way or the other yeah sorry to interrupt i didn't think brady to tampa bay was bad for godwin and evans but i do think gronkowski is bad for them and especially godwin okay and yeah because they'll be occupying kind of similar uh parts of the field i i always thought it was going to be like a, a boost for godwin and maybe a little bit of a um a check down for for Mike Evans but yeah now now that you enter uh the Gronkowski factor that yeah this this gets muddy um in a hurry all right so let's move on over obviously we got the draft coming up uh on Thursday uh I'm sure that it will run extremely smoothly uh based on you know how things went when they did their little dry run 
on Monday. Um, but let's let's run through it. Let's try to see uh, where uh, certain guys are gonna are gonna land um, as we walk through uh, this first round. So I think we can both agree that the first pick is gonna be Joe Burrow. I don't think that at this stage the Bengals are gonna move off of that. Um, I think. If that Dolphins old Dolphins rumor of, of them, you know, packaging their three first rounders or whatever to move up, if that were if that were still the case, maybe the the Bengals would consider that. I think that'd be a great move for the Bengals. I just don't think that that's an actual thing that will occur. I think that by the time the Thursday rolls around, Burrow will be a Bengal. Um, let's move on then. Or do you have any disagreement there? Uh, good luck, Joe. No, no disagreement. That was just my yeah. That was what I had to add. There we go. Uh, and then I think Chase Young is pretty much locked in to to be that pick for Washington. I, I'm not yeah. necessarily buying that that Washington is un, is pulling the plug on Dwayne Haskins. So I, I think Young ends up there. I think pick three is where things uh, start to get interesting, Mario. Yeah, definitely because it seems like there could be up to two or three teams interested in trading up there and even as much as there are three at least teams that want to trade up to three it's like detroit even more wants to trade back like however much those teams want to trade up it's like detroit seems desperate to trade back which is weird because you would think after trading darius slay for a third round pick they might want to get a plausible uh, credible replacement like jeff okuda but it seems like the, the big idea Matt Patricia has this year is that his corners are set. The problem is we don't have a run-stopping defensive tackle. So they want to trade back, it looks like, to take Derek Brown, presumably. Although I wouldn't be surprised if Patricia trades back and kind of like screws it up and somehow ends up losing Brown to the Jaguars or something like that. Um, I don't know which teams... Uh, I guess at this point with Miami showing an interest in trading up to three, they could still Detroit get Okuda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be a little bit little bit sketchy. I don't think the Dolphins are at all interested in a in Okuda or Henderson because they just signed Byron Jones and they have Xavier Howard. So right. their top two corners might be as good as any in the league, actually. So the corner should fall to the fifth pick if it's the fifth to the third that Miami is specifically trying to jump. And if it's Miami trying to get to three, if, if that's what's going to happen, then it means that Miami decided that New York, the Giants at four, decided that they were going to take one of the offensive tackles that Miami wanted. And I would guess it's Tristan Wirfs, but I don't know that. Like Bob McGinn, he had in his scout poll, Andrew Thomas ranked number one out of the defense, uh, the offensive tackles. That's not to even guess what's going on with Mecky Becton or Jedrick Wills, who as much as they're underdogs to go in this range, they could, it wouldn't be that it would be a little surprising, but it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be something that we're talking about in a few months. We'd kind of get used to it pretty quick because yeah. those guys are really good prospects too. Um, I would guess it's worse though. And I don't really have anything to base that on other than that he's a little bit more insane of an athlete than any of the other tackles. I, well, Becton, of course, is insane for different reasons. But Wirfs specifically is like if you moved him to defensive tackle, he would be a first overall pick as a tackle just because it's like 6'5", 320, who, who runs like a tight end. And, uh, you know, 6'5", 320 is dense. Like it, a guy being 6'5", 285 and moving the way Wirfs does would be impressive. So, uh, but if, if it's not Wirfs, it seems like it's Thomas. Like that's kind of where, uh, to me, the top two tackles pretty clearly appear to be in whatever order Wirfs and Thomas. Agreed. Yeah. So, uh, that all again, number pick three. Don't think that the Lions would go tackle there. But again, like you were saying, if the Dolphins move up and they, I think it would be a surprise if they moved up and, and, 
wanted a quarterback. So yeah, that because obviously uh, the Giants already have Daniel Jones, they wouldn't be worried about uh, the Giants taking a, a Tua or something or a Justin Herbert. Um, so yeah, they, they would have to be going after a tackle there. So yeah, we'll see what the Lions end up doing. Uh, with that pick, it, it does sound like from what you're saying that they're actively uh, trying to shop it. And then what do you think that the Giants end up doing with the fourth? I have no idea because if if Miami really is so hellbent on trading up to the third pick for a tackle, then that means they are pretty much convinced that the Giants want whichever of those tackles that they want is. So if they get ahead of the Giants and take a tackle – it could be as simple as the Giants take the next guy, Werfs, Thomas, whoever's left over, or maybe that was the only tackle that they wanted to take there. And maybe they go from the offensive tackle position to Isaiah Simmons, or maybe they try to trade back themselves. Maybe they say, ah, oh, we don't want, we don't want this pick anymore. And maybe they trade back. Uh, as, as far as who might want to trade up to four goes, I guess, I guess it could be like if, if Detroit goes back to five, thinking that they're going to take Okuda, uh, then maybe a team like the Falcons would convince themselves to trade up to four mm-hmm. for Okuda. Uh, they could. There's there's a non-zero chance that they trade up and take Henderson ahead of Okuda. That would surprise me quite a bit, and not many people would approve of it. It seems like there's a non-zero chance that they do it. So we could see we could see back-to-back corners in some scenario if Atlanta trades up to four. I don't know if they will. I, I, I don't really, it doesn't seem right. Uh, but then again, like the whole, the whole discussion of them and CJ Henderson was weird to me because it's not like the Falcons are starting back at the 27th pick. Like they did with the Julio Jones trade up. They're starting at the 16th pick. And it's like, even in the most paranoid projection, Henderson only goes about eight or nine. Um, so I don't know if it, maybe the Falcons could convince themselves that they only need to trade to the eighth pick where Arizona is or the ninth pick where Jacksonville is. I don't really know. So if they don't want to trade up, I don't know if anyone else would care to trade for the fourth pick because I, don't, I just I just don't know who would be in demand for, for trading up at that spot. So I guess it's between Simmons and a tackle, I guess. I just have no idea which tackles they're going to be choosing from. Uh, and I also don't know if the second tackle that they have in mind is comparable to the one that they have in first. Cause if they were that set on, t- if, if the giants were that set on taking Werfs or Thomas, they should just take whoever the leftover is because the leftovers very, I mean, arguably just as good or better. Uh, the question of them being substantially worse as a prospect is, is kind of, uh, it's just out of the question. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're really tough to separate. So if you were set on one, you should be able to sell yourself on the other but on the other hand, Isaiah Simmons is pretty uncommon defensive prospect too. Right. I think I think the Giants want to leave this first round with one of those tackles. I I think it's that less, would make sense. It's less likely. I think that uh, they take Simmons, let alone at four, but but at all. But uh, I think four would be. I I just don't know if they, if that's the direction that they're going to move in. I, I think that they want to continue to kind of bolster the front in front of Daniel Jones. So I think that they end up with one of those first uh, two tackles. Um, how do the, that next tier of quarterbacks uh, unfold in your mind? For, uh, maybe in this situation, let's say the Dolphins are still there at five and then the Chargers at six. Do, do both quarterbacks go by the time that the, uh, the Chargers uh, turn their pick in? If Miami doesn't trade to three, then I think so. But I have no idea. Uh, I mean, I guess... I guess whether Miami trades up to three 
And if it is really a tackle that they have in mind, if they were doing that, then that means they don't want Tua, or at least they prefer Justin Herbert over Tua, right? Because if they if they were trading up and if they wanted Tua more than Herbert, they would trade up to get Tua. They wouldn't trade up to get a player at a different position. So if they trade from five to three, then Tua is definitely going six to the Chargers. And I wouldn't be surprised if Miami trades back up to Carolina at the seventh pick to take Herbert in that case. But if Miami doesn't trade up. Uh, like, I guess we have to consider the possibility that they don't complete the trade up, but still value Herbert more than Tua. Um, and then if they do trade up, oh God, it's, it's tough to think this through. Cause I, I, I'm trying to figure out if we have any clues that tell us whether they have Herbert or head of Tua or vice versa. And I can't find anything conclusive. And I, I feel like Herbert makes more sense if it's true that Miami is trying to trade up for a tackle. Like I, I can't figure out a way that they would trade up for a tackle and prefer Tua over Herbert. So um, either either way, I guess I'm leaning Herbert to Miami, but it's not because I really like it's not that I want to make that pick. It's there's smoke in all directions. You can't really find uh, like like there's so many interests involved that you're going to find smoke for whatever narrative suits you. So. Uh, I don't know. Armando Salguero has been saying since February that he thinks Herbert is Miami's favored quarterback. Uh, there's that other guy, Barry something or other from Miami, though, who's saying the opposite. And uh, there's other things like on the side where people are just chiming in. Like, I think Schefter said he'd guess Tua, but he said too. He has no idea. So I'm saying Herbert, I guess, if I have to choose for the Dolphins, but I don't care and i have no idea Tua to the chargers is is uh what's happening if two is available to the chargers though okay and uh barry uh jackson i believe is yeah, who yeah, you're yeah. talking about uh he tweeted uh right before we started recording person in touch with the dolphins confirmed to me their efforts to get up to the third pick um this peter schrager hypothetical of getting three and keeping five would make sense so i guess i guess the dolphins that would, would take have a to, lot the pa- would yeah, they'd a- have to give up their other two that would be their other two, probably a second rounder this year, probably a, at least a second rounder next year. I, I know they have two thirds or two seconds or something like that, but they may, they might have to do like a Ricky Williams trade to do that. <laughs> that always ends up going extremely well. They have, dang, they they have two uh, picks in the second round, so they have the ammo. Um, maybe because they got to they got to start at the 18th pick and the 27th pick, right? So. It'd have to be those two, maybe a first rounder next year and a second rounder this year. Yeah, it would be something like that. It'd be a lot. Um, it looks like, yeah, it would have to be the, those next two. Um, I don't know if it would, if the second rounder, it, it would probably be this the later of the second round picks. But I think the two first rounders from this year plus uh, pick fifty six, I think w- would be probably enough to to get them to get it done to get them moved back into the top ten. Um, but we'll have to see. That should be close. Yeah, I mean, I think eighteen and twenty seven basically uh, that might be enough for the Carolina pick at seven. So it's possible. Okay. All right, let's let's keep on moving then. Um, let's get on to where are we at now? Pick pick seven. Are we at Carolina now? Yeah, yes. we're at uh, Carolina, and they look like a great uh, candidate to trade back. I think too, but if they don't, Isaiah Simmons would be a really good pick for them. That's they, what I was thinking too. I think they could use two linebackers in the first round actually, because Shaq Thompson's contract is terrible, and he's he, they got to cut him after this year. I think, um, but in any case. If Carolina stays at seven, Isaiah Simmons, I think, would be pretty obviously the best option. I, I think Simmons would be – oh, sorry. Do you think that Simmons 
is what we all thought that Shaq Thompson could have been. Because I feel like a lot of the things being said about Simmons are the things that we were saying about Thompson back when he was going uh, into his draft. Um. In in the sense of the general theme of versatility, yeah, but I don't think they're especially similar as players. I think the comparison for Isaiah Simmons is pretty clearly Julian Peterson. Or uh, if if you're if you're talking less about like traits and the more the way you would use them in terms of uh, like play calls and and positions that they line up at, the responsibilities that they have in a defense, I guess you could go kind of like Derwin James or, or like a you know. Uh, Derwin James is the safety version of Isaiah Simmons, who's the linebacker version of Derwin James. They both play both positions and other ones, too. Uh, but when you're 6'4", 240, like Simmons, it's like, I'm sorry, you're not a safety, really. Uh, you're a linebacker who can sometimes cover in the slot and, and play other stuff. Um, I don't really buy into some of the more – I've seen some like Isaiah Simmons skepticism in recent days. Yeah, it's been like, coming quite, out strong. I don't really understand it at all because it's they're just very specifically trying to take what was previously a selling point and yeah. saying like oh but he doesn't do any of them like one at a time and it's like well just stop asking him to do multiple things then like if if you don't like it when a player does multiple things you can just have them not do it anymore uh cuz watch this i bet he's good at like instead of being like oh he's good at everything what do i do now it's like just pick one dude <laughs> just just don't ask yourself the question just just put him on the field he can do something it's not that hard he's he's 6'4 240 he's super productive on one of college football's best defenses and he's basically the best athlete anyone's ever seen aside from like montez sweat at linebacker or something so uh Guys who can run like him, who are built like him, just don't exist. And when they do, if they produce like a guy like Isaiah Simmons did in college, just pick them. Like they're going to be good. Yeah, I think that it's a really good point about how his versatility selling point is not is now like sort of being used against him. Where it, it used to be like, imagine what a defensive coordinator is going to do when it, once he gets his hands on Simmons. And now it's like, oh, defensive coordinators aren't going to know what to do. They're not going to get the most out of him. He's going to, you know, end up being a wasted talent type of thing. It, it's funny how that's shifted uh, really just over the last week. It feels like it where it felt like he was a bulletproof top 10 guy. Now I think it's not completely out of the question that he falls out of the top 10 and feels like there, there's a lot of uh, just sentiment uh, I think going against him a little bit right now. I don't really believe that that'll stick in for the NFL. Like I think that's mostly a Twitter thing. And I think for however far Simmons falls, it'll have more to do with just the logistics of the other trades and the things going on. Like, I, I don't think it'll be something like the top 10 teams, uh, you know, make their picks and then turn to the rest of us and go, ha suckers. You thought we liked Isaiah Simmons. I think it's like, if they all had two picks in the first 10 picks, they would all want Simmons. It's just they have bigger concerns or so they think right now. But yeah, I agree. Simmons in the top seven or, or sorry, Tim, uh, Simmons in the top five or six is not likely to happen. Uh, he could go seven to the Panthers if they stay there. If Atlanta trades up for CJ Henderson, then, you know, that settles that. But I think the latest Simmons goes would be nine or 10 or something. Uh, I don't know his actual real name, but if if you follow Dilla on Twitter, um, he's he's like this guy is a, a Jacksonville fan, uh, but he's actually plugged into the team. I don't know how, but he he's been saying they're either going to take Simmons if he's there or Derek Brown. And Simmons would be a little bit counterintuitive just because they signed Joe Schobert and uh, not long before that they extended Miles Jack. But 
they might just kind of realize that Miles Jack actually isn't very good. Um, they might just kind of have to eat that contract. Uh, and in the meantime, Simmons could provide upwards of 300 snaps a year playing positions other than linebacker in the event that they decide Miles Jack and Joe Schobert are better nickel linebackers. They still might conclude that even then Simmons uh, will be a sort of like, I don't know, they could do like a 3-3 kind of thing. They could do something where he's it's more like a 4-4 four, four, where like Peter uh, he's doing like a rover kind of role. He could play slot corner. He could play safety. So there's ways that he can get toward 800, 900 snaps, even if Schobert and Jack also play 800, 900 snaps. Um, otherwise, if, if he falls to 10 and if Carolina trades back from 7, I could imagine a team like them trading back up for Simmons, uh, especially if they can basically like move up around from, I don't know, the second to the first or something like that. Like I, I just, I just think Simmons is the kind of guy that if he falls, someone will trade up for him. Interesting. Uh, maybe like, you know, Terrell Suggs back in his draft when he started falling to 10 and your Ravens traded two first rounders to get him from the Cardinals. Uh, I don't know, something what like that. What a day that was. And then they got Kyle Bowler. What a year. Oh, yeah, good thing you had the Kyle Bowler pick to offset the Suggs one. <laughs> God, I, I, yeah, I used to go to the Ravens Stadium on draft day. It was like the, that all-day Saturday thing. That was fun. We um, are free from the curse of Gerbach at last. <laughs> we rejoiced at that time. Um, speaking of the Jaguars, though, and speaking of that, well, quickly, um, I, I imagine uh, the Cardinals will probably take whichever tackle – top tackle on their on their board is there they might want to trade back too though and so they might because they don't have a second rounder and uh yeah i don't know it's like there seems to be some sort of demand like if if one team trades up for a tackle then the other teams that kind of previously told themselves the this is what our options are we're going to be looking at this scenario when you pull the scenario out from somebody like that you can kind of just get them to panic generally and, and you might get some trades up where you know the team that does it maybe isn't even planning on it right now. We'll see. But Arizona, if they want to tackle, uh, there should be a good enough one, be it Jedrick Wills or Mecky Becton. Uh, they could want to trade back and go for someone like Austin Jackson, I guess. They could, uh, if Atlanta fails to trade up, I feel like Arizona could justify C.J. Henderson as much as anybody because Patrick Peterson was not good last year. They got to cut him, basically. Uh, Byron Murphy maybe he's good but they don't know that and even if he is they still don't have a good third corner so they could justify cj henderson they could justify an offensive tackle they could justify cd lamb or jerry judy i don't think it's going to be one of the receivers i I feel like it's going to be offensive tackle uh for arizona i I, for some reason don't think arizona would take simmons but maybe i'm wrong it's just that they already have jordan hicks and uh what's his name Uh, there's somebody else they have they got canard and uh, anyway, uh, they they need a right tackle. Cassius Marsh. No. Oh, Cassius Marsh. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they still need a right tackle. They paid a ton of money to DJ Humphreys at left tackle. Jedrick Wills played right tackle at Alabama and would obviously plug in well. And you could even – I don't even know if it would be like a, a bad idea to suggest that a 6'4 offensive tackle go with Kyler Murray so he's not you know taller oh, yeah. <laughs> blocking throwing lanes. I don't know. It might work. And they, they obviously use a lot of misdirection concepts where a guy who can run like Wills would, would be really nice to have. So I, if I was them, I'd probably lean toward Wills. 
Um, but they might want to try to trade back because they, they don't have that second rounder and their roster still isn't that great. Yeah, that's a really interesting point regarding uh, the Cardinals maybe trying to recoup some of that draft capital. But I also feel like if one of the top tackles on their board is there, I think they just got to go with it. Um, but again, yeah, I would I would do that if I was them. Yeah, it, it's just a matter of of when that tackle run starts, because it sounds like coming into this afternoon, I thought that that they might be in the catbird seat and maybe just be the, the second team to take a tackle in the in the top 10. But yeah. um, it seems like, you know, they could be looking at, at being the third or fourth um, among those type of teams. So uh, something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, when it comes to the to the ninth pick. Why is there so much link between Derek Brown and the Jaguars? I mean, they just spent a first rounder, I believe, on Taven Bryan not that long ago. They still have Avery Jones. Uh, what do you make of that? I don't really know. Uh, it seems pretty reliably reported that they do like him. I don't know what the reasons would be, but I would guess it's kind of misguided reasons because I kn- you can tell when people talk about Derek Brown, especially like college, uh, casual college football observers, they talk about Derek Brown the way people talked about in Demacong Sioux at Nebraska. And oh, yeah, he had he had Paul Bunyan full hero type of status like his entire time at Auburn. You watch an Auburn broadcast this year and it or a game where Auburn's on and it did totally feel that way like the announcers would just do everything they could anytime that he was like even near the play to talk yeah. about Derek Brown yeah I was doing a radio call for Rotowire last week at some radio station no offense to them I don't know who they are I feel like they were in the southeast somewhere but I know that the guy talking to me uh he was asking me who, where I thought Derek Brown would go and I was like I don't know like maybe the 49ers at 13 and they were just like, what the hell? And (laughs) I was like, I don't know. I mean, like everybody, everybody talks about him like he's Sue. And I know people can, you know, they watch the highlights of Derek Brown. And when he, when he tackles somebody, he does that thing where the person just like turns into dust or like explodes into a bunch of pieces and flies around. And people think it's cool to see stuff like that. But Sue did stuff like that, and he posted much better numbers, and he was an insane athlete. Yes, uh, he was. He was total blue chip player, like cannot fail prospect. And people talk about Derek Brown that way when it's just not the case. Like, I, I don't want to say he'll be a bad player. I think he'll be a good player, but he's not Fletcher Cox either. He's he's not in Demacong Sue. He's not Fletcher Cox. Uh, I don't. I don't know what he is exactly, but it's it's just not worth it the way the way people talk about him sometimes. But you know, it's like the Jaguars appear to be one of those teams that are true believers. And I guess also to be fair, the ninth pick is a different question than the first or the second or the third. So yeah, I guess they could justify it kind of at nine. And I think he'll be a fine player. Uh, I just think it would be a huge mistake to take him over someone like Simmons, who's I think clearly a better linebacker than Derek Brown is a defensive tackle. Um, I would prefer an offensive tackle. If I were the Jaguars, I don't think Cam Robinson is that convincing on the left side. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, I, I would just go with Simmons or an offensive tackle if I was them, but I guess they're still chasing whatever it was that they didn't find with Marcel Darius. And maybe they're kind of anxious about the defensive line, trading Kalak Campbell away like maybe they'll maybe they think that drafting Derek Brown is like offsetting the loss of Campbell I don't know they're different players they don't resemble each other even and slightly no Derek Brown like you got to have him just like in the in the middle like playing like the zero technique or something like he's not he's not a guy that you're having 
come screaming off the edge to to get you or to rack up sacks um, and going up against tackles. Like he, he's better at just like kind of wrecking wrecking the pocket, uh, that type of thing, and like freeing up space for like your athletic linebackers to come come up and make plays. Like he's a space eater. He's not a guy that's going to rack up numbers. And like with that in mind, and, and again like with the kind of shaky combine numbers that he posted. I just don't think that he has what you would want to pay for in terms of a top 10 pick. I, I think that Derek Brown will be a good player. But yeah, like you said, I think that there's a ceiling there that's not really being acknowledged properly by a lot of people. Yeah, I don't think he's as good as Ed Oliver or Quinnen Williams either. So uh, we'll see. I mean, he'll be a good player, but I, I feel like players like Simmons don't come around often at all. And if you get the chance to take one, take it. Like You can find guys like Brown at worst – one every two or three drafts, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. So it's it's not like he's a, he's not Sue basically at the end of the day, and you'd be paying close to a Sue price. Obviously, Sue was at, was you know what the second pick uh, back in two thousand ten, yeah. something like that. But to to your point, uh, he is not that, uh, and something someone like him comes around more often than than what people are saying or the way that people are framing. Before we get on over uh, into the into uh, the teens of the first round, I got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. The best fantasy football leagues are those where every owner constantly pays attention, responds to trade offers, changes their lineup, and are always looking to improve their team. There is no off-season for these owners. That's who you're challenging yourself against in Dynasty Owner, other elite fantasy football players who are committed to competing. Dynasty Owner is the only fantasy football platform with a patented game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. Combine this with a salary cap, elite trading options, advanced team rosters, and devoted elite owners to compete against, and you're faced with the same decisions NFL owners and general managers must make. If you're ready to take on the test, then don't miss out. Join the waitlist at DynastyOwner.com. That's DynastyOwner.com. All right, Mario, let's get on over uh, pick 10, that's where the Browns are. Uh, wh- what direction do you think that they go in here? Well, they need a tackle, an offensive tackle. They could use a wide receiver, and I think, especially if Werfs and Thomas are gone by the sixth pick, and if Jedrick Wills go, or sorry, the seventh pick, and if Jedrick Wills goes at the eighth pick, or if Becton goes at the, the eighth pick, I guess, uh, if three tackles go in those first nine picks, without even taking into the possibility that somebody trades to nine to the Jaguars pick and takes another tackle uh you know the Cleveland might not have the tackle that they thought they would a couple days ago uh a couple days ago it looked pretty likely that someone like Andrew Thomas would be there and now it seems unlikely that Thomas or Werfs would be there maybe Wills maybe Becton but it's not a given in either case so there's definitely a scenario where Cleveland would trade back I don't know why someone would trade to 10. The The most commonly suggested one, if I'm remembering right, would be Denver trading from 15 to 10, which would make sense. Uh, the most commonly suggested pick would be Henry Ruggs. I feel like it would make a lot more sense to trade up for C.D. Lamb if I was them. Uh, I love Henry Ruggs, but you know, if you get – if you get someone like CeeDee Lamb to go with Cortland Sutton, it's like t- people get too fixated on the whole contrasting traits thing. They're like, well, you have a big guy like Sutton. You got to get a small, fast oh, guy sure. like Ruggs. Yeah. Like, no, just get two sick receivers. <laughs> See how much a defense likes covering CeeDee Lamb and Cortland Sutton, even though neither one runs a 4-4 four, four or whatever. Um, so I think that would make the most sense if, if Denver was going to do that. But on the other hand, 
unless Cleveland takes a receiver or otherwise trades it to a team that would, maybe Denver wouldn't need to trade from 15 to 10 to get a really good receiver. Like maybe Ruggs or Judy w- would fall to them at 15. Speaking uh, of Judy and falling, let's let's use that as a jumping off point here because there there are, you know, reports Judy never missed a game in college and he played 28 games after this uh meniscus procedure that he had after the spring of his freshman year but it feels like now that like that's being taught that's like the only thing people are talking about when it comes to jerry judy right now do you think that that actually ends up impacting where he goes in in this order of like the top three receivers so we had a generalized like negative report coming from philadelphia specifically two philadelphia beat writers uh, granted, it's been a while since I've been, you know, writing player notes for RotoWire, but I didn't recognize the name of either of those two people. One of them is with like uh, CSN or something like that. It's they're reputable reporters, but it's suspicious the timing and the proximity of those reports and the location of those reports. It's like, why did two Philadelphia like fringe beat writers get a scoop on this before Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport? And Rappaport and Schefter eventually commented on it afterward. Um, but what Schefter said was just some kind of like vague thing, <clears throat> pretty, pretty weak effort from Schefter. I think, I think he's a little distracted right now. Uh, <laughs> Rappaport had something more specific where he's like two teams expressed concern and then, uh, the, the surgeon or whatever, or the doctor, I don't know who, <coughs> who, excuse me, they're affiliated with, but they sent a letter like, uh, he, he had the procedure and like, that's it. Nothing happened. It didn't like he healed without any further treatment and he doesn't need any further maintenance i wrote um, that note so nice <laughs> uh, good note john Thank you. um but yeah so it's it's like we don't even know if those two teams that rapaport identified or he didn't identify them but he, he determined that two teams existed that uh can kind of like corroborate the, the the first report of like a couple teams don't even have them on their first round board it's like okay so it's it's like literally two teams we don't know which teams. It could be the Lions. It could be, you know, the it could be the Bengals. It might not be any of the teams that were plausibly going to take a receiver in the first round anyway. So to me, it's exactly nothing. I don't care at all. Um, I, I think there's a scenario where Jerry Judy goes third out of those receivers. It just I don't think it'll have anything to do with the knee, and I don't think he'll fall to to like. Well, let's just assume the Eagles leaked that information since it's two low-level Philadelphia reporters who who peddled it. Um, if the Eagles want Jerry Judy, I think they're just going to have to trade up more than they perhaps are hoping for. They're like he's not going to fall to twenty-one. No, he no, he definitely not. So I, I think even with these you know reports coming out, um, it, it's very unlikely that the Judy falls uh, past fifteen. I, I think. Did he? Did he so much as show up on an injury report when you covered him in Alabama? No. So, yeah, it's like I, I don't think he's missed any games. I don't remember looking at his player profile on Rotowire and seeing that, you know, that red that red logo indicating somebody's hurt or missing practice. I don't remember anything like that with him. So I think it's it's basically made up. I think there's a case to rank C.D. Lamb. I mean, I do rank C.D. Lamb ahead of Jerry Judy. So I think there's also a case to rank Ruggs ahead of – Jerry Judy, I don't, but I can imagine some team, especially if a team already has a good slot receiver and specifically wants someone who can stretch the field. It's like, yeah, I guess Ruggs can do that better than Judy. But Judy should not go any later than, I don't know, 
like 15 at the absolute latest. Yeah, fi- that feels like it, as long as Denver stays put there at 15, um, I think that that's like the buck stops there as far as uh, the first three uh, receivers coming off the board. Um, do you think that, that the Raiders are going to be among those guys? Like, are they going to use receiver at 12 and, and go somewhere else at, at pick 19? I think there's also a case to be made that the Raiders address a need, a bigger need at pick 12 and then grab, you know, whatever good receiver uh, they like at pick 19. They, they have a lot of options, I think. Yeah, I don't know what way they mean to go with it. I, I can't remember if they have any second round picks. I want to say they don't, but they do have two or three third rounders. They might want to trade back from 19 or 12. I don't know what – I don't know. Like if C.J. Henderson is for some stupid reason still on the board at 12, I wouldn't be surprised if – I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders took him. I also wouldn't be surprised if they traded back because of some other – like a team like Dallas, I guess, if they were like, oh, boy, we can get C.J. Henderson. Like that would maybe be a way that the, the Raiders move a little bit further back if they weren't in on one of those big three receivers. Um, but if I was them and C.D. Lamb was on the board, I would just take C.D. Lamb. So uh, I think it would be – if I had to pick, I would say Lamb or Ruggs for the Raiders right now. And I I lean those two over Judy, not because I not because I think Judy would be worse for them than Ruggs. Um, but just they have Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller already doing a lot in the slot. And as much as Jerry Judy can play outside just fine, he – there are certain things that they – that a team could want Jerry Judy to do and, and to, to, to function as to justify a first round pick that uh, Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller are kind of like already addressing. Mm-hmm. So CD lamb, I think is the better pure outside receiver between himself and Judy. Again, not to say Judy's bad at it. Cause I don't, I think he's really I good keep at that saying too. That, yeah, I keep putting those words in your mouth. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? It's like some, there's there's such a weird discourse around the receivers this year like there's some people who get really mad when you suggest that jerry duty isn't the best one for sure because they're like don't you know how good of a route runner he is and like yeah i do uh do you know how good of a route runner cd lamb is uh it's it's just it's like uh i don't know people got their you know axes to grind about this stuff um but i think i can see a reasonable case for the Raiders to take Ruggs ahead of Judy, basically, uh, just because I think Ruggs has more unique functions to offer them. Uh, but they, especially if they take a quarterback, and it does seem like they need to take a quarterback in these first 40 picks or so, then the Raiders should get somebody like CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs, just because Tyrell Williams is fine, but he's not like a fully he's not like a multi-dimensional receiver exactly and the same is true for hunter renfro but if you had a third receiver who's good to, to just threaten all levels of the defense that would it could make like a nice little ecosystem of of different you know specialists basically yeah i think uh al davis would smile from above if they ended up with do henry it for ruggs. Al. yeah Take do it henry for, al. Ruggs for al come on let's let's get that going show all some right. respect <laughs> seriously um let's move on um the Niners have been rumored. I feel like it feels like their two first round picks, they're treating them like hot potatoes. Like they want to get rid of them, or at least that's the discourse around uh, the like all the reports when it comes to San Francisco. They're they're going to move off of either thirteen or thirty one, maybe even both. So, do you think that they a keep pick thirteen and b if they do, where do they go with it? You know. I- I really have no idea. It could be a receiver. I could also see San Francisco being the team that takes Jerry Judy at 13. So they I feel like if I had to call it, I would say they they stay at 13 
maybe trade back with the second one. But I think they're going to have good player, good options, good options that fit their needs, moreover, in both scenarios. Because I guess there's a scenario at 13 where, you know, they trade back. Maybe they miss out on the first tier of tackles and maybe they move from 13 to whatever, 17 or something like that. 18, I don't know. And they take Austin Jackson, who a lot of people call a reach and a lot of people just straight up do not like him. I don't really get it. I think for a player who is 20 years old to be starting in the in the Pac-12, at least in this current era of Pac-12 defenses, it's like, I'm okay if he gets roughed up a bit. I mean, he's at an age disadvantage. If It's when I ask the question, like, if, if this guy was a year or two years older and he still was getting beat, like, that would, that would be what scares me. But I don't think it's fair to look at a 20-year-old tackle like Jackson and just say, like, oh, man, you got – you, you looked kind of bad against Washington. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, wouldn't, these are good defenses. This isn't like 10 years ago where everybody in the, in the pack 10 was kind of more like a big 12 quality defense. So uh, when you have the tools that Jackson does and when you're as, he's so athletic, even though he's already very densely built, like he's six, five going to be probably like three thirty within a year. And he would be a perfect zone blocking prospect because he's, he's so quick, so explosive, so fast even though he's the stocky guy. So Joe Staley's 36, and I would imagine the 49ers are going to get his replacement in this draft. And if they are going to get a replacement specifically for Staley, Austin Jackson, put him on the bench for a year. That's perfect. Yeah, that's a really great call. And yeah, San Francisco should be happy with their tackles for for this year. But got to start looking to the future, like you said. Uh, Jackson would would fit that mold as a a guy that they can go ahead and develop. Um, Let's get on to the Buccaneers here. Uh, Pick fourteen. If if these if any of those. Uh, tackles are still available you got to figure that that's the direction that they go in the other glaring need is running back 14 much too high to get any of these running backs I think uh, this year they'd be just sort of bidding against themselves I I don't think that they would do that I think that they're more apt to go after running back in the second round Um, so how do you see the the Bucks uh, handling things at 14 so I should have mentioned both in the case of the Buccaneers and the Browns Something that's going to affect the calculus, and I guess it has to happen soon uh, if it's ever going to happen, but something that could change the calculus of both teams is whatever's going on with Trent Williams. Because if you're the Browns, like they're not a, they're not like an all-in team exactly, but they're close enough that they could kind of go like halfway all-in and uh, you know trade maybe a second-round pick next year to get Trent Williams even at 32 or 31, 32, whatever he is. Even though he has, he's got a Gronk thing too. Like he hasn't played a full season since basically like the last decade or something. Um, and he's got, you know, like in multiple sort of injuries. Like there's a lot of them. It's, it seems like he's just the kind of tackle who gets hurt when he's on the field. He's a beast and he fits in basically any kind of scheme, including zone blocking. Like Trent Williams is really athletic. So if if Cleveland can get him at left tackle. That at a, at a price that works for them, that could remove them from the Thomas, Becton, Wills, Wirfs sweepstakes, which would be good news for Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay needs a right tackle. Like they have Joe Haig, who they signed from Indianapolis, where he was basically just a backup, and Donovan Smith, the left tackle. I mean, as far as I know, he's not something great himself. He's more like just adequate. So yeah, if the if these uh, revived Patriots want to make it work then they're going to need to get an offensive line like the Patriots too. And that's a lot easier said than done. Like even if the Buccaneers add Beckton or Jedrick Wills, 
their offensive line is probably going to be a few levels below what Tom Brady's been accustomed to for, I don't know, the past eight years. So it's it's something they need to address. And the question for Tampa is kind of like what's the most, I guess, convenient way to do it. Like Becton would be perfect for them. Wills would be perfect for them. But would they consider whatever it takes to get Williams uh, something preferable anyway? And if so, at, at that point, I don't know. Maybe they go take Henry Ruggs even because I don't really know what, what else they would take. They, they're set at corner. It's too early to take any of the safeties. They're set at linebacker. They're even pretty much set at the edge. They could use a guy like Javon Kinlaw, I guess, because Ndemokong Sue is only on a one-year deal. And uh, what is it? Like William Bolsonaro. Well, Vita Vea plays the nose, and he plays like 750, 850 snaps. Uh, Sue is the other one. He's on a one-year deal. Golson, William Golson played, uh, uh, I want to say like 600 snaps, something like that. They might want to just cut him because he's probably not that good. Um, but basically, it's like Sue is a one-year thing. If Kinlaw can be Sue for the next four years after this year and be basically like half as much per year on his rookie contract – that's something I could see the Buccaneers justifying, but they don't need a, a guy like Kinlaw in the sense that like their run defense needs any help. The run defense is already sick. Yeah, uh, it's just a question of like, do they want to lock in like a, a theoretical savings in the future uh, to, to to prepare for what will be a need a year from now? I don't know, but if they don't get Trent Williams, I, I guess I can see something like Kinlaw. But if if they if they don't get Williams, then yeah, Becton is kind of my like odds on favorite, I guess, but wills plug in at right tackle. That would totally work. Okay. Yeah. So it's a matter of, of which of those top four tackles are, are still there. Um, again, assuming, uh, that no trade happens with, uh, Trent Williams, if that does happen, then that obviously, uh, changes their needs. Uh, let's move on. Uh, so 16th pick, we, we already have the, the Broncos going at receiver with their first pick. If they stay put at 15 or you know, if they move up, they also likely uh, to get a receiver, um, pick 16 right now. It's the Falcons. I think that they, I'm buying the, the, the noise that they're going to trade up. Uh, I think that they're going to walk away from the first round with either Okuda or Henderson, uh, just a matter of how high up they trade. Yeah, and I could see – so when I was talking before about Carolina trading back up for Isaiah Simmons at 10 or something like that, I could imagine them taking the two first-round picks from Miami at 18 and 27. Um, but if it's if it's Atlanta that trades up with Carolina, then um, yeah, I guess, I guess Carolina could be in the position at this pick of looking for – an edge defender, basically. Like, I don't know what they think about Clavon Chison or Yeter Gross Matos, but those seem like the best players on the board in that range to me. And the Panthers could definitely use some sort of front seven talent. And it, it looks like they're going to do a sort of amoeba defense, theoretically, or ostensibly kind of like the Belichick kind of way of running a defense because Phil Snow, their defensive coordinator, he would do 4-3 or 3-4 or whatever else, just kind of depending on the players that he had. So he's he's like uh, he, he's just a pragmatic defensive coordinator, and which means he, he would be sooner to appreciate versatility um, than maybe some 4-3 some or 3-4 purist. So Clavon Chaisan could totally be in play. I don't know what people think about him exactly because the, the the initial hype with him didn't really match 
the evidence as far as I could tell. And sometimes in cases like that, sometimes the guy does go that high and the NFL just, you know, sticks with it. They just, they just say like, we don't care if there's no evidence. We'll take him anyway. Sometimes your suspicions turn out to be correct. And a guy like him falls a little, uh, like, I mean, it's, there's a more recent, or a, a similar case, I guess, in like AJ Epinesa or something. It's like, people are still projecting that guy to go in the top 20 picks on the basis of nothing other than the fact that they projected him to do that eight months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you try to make the case now, you just can't. Like, you can't make a case for A.J. Epinesa in the first 50 picks, let alone the first 20. And yet you see people projecting A.J. Epinesa, like 20, 25th overall. So I'm a little worried that Chison's something like that, but he's still way ahead of Epinesa for me. So if it's the if it's the Panthers at 16, I could see him going there. I would take Yeter Gross Matos if I was them. Uh, or I would try to trade back again, something like that. I don't know. Or or Patrick Queen, linebacker, somebody like that. Um, but yeah, if it's Carolina at that spot, I feel like we're going to see a... Uh, it could be Kinlaw if he's there. They would take Kinlaw if he's there. I don't know if he will be. But if if it's not Kinlaw, then I think it's going to be someone like Queen or Chison or Yetcher Gross Matos. Okay. Yeah, that that definitely adds up. I, I definitely think that the, the Panthers will, will look to bolster the linebackers or the edge one way or the other. It'd be cool for them to get another a- athletic edge guy um, opposite Brian Burns that, that could end up, you know, pr- producing a pretty uh, nasty edge rushing duo uh, for them in due time. Uh, seven, the t- 17th pick here, we got the Cowboys. They could go in a lot of directions, I feel like. They could. I feel like it's in Jerry Jones's nature to take a corner. I think I'm going to say Jalen Johnson. Okay. Um, and what what makes you project him over, say, like your Jeff Gladney's, uh, Christian Fulton, uh, I guess AJ Ter- Terrell, or like the other guys kind of being bandied about as potential first round uh, corners? So Fulton's problem is he's got short arms and he's just a good athlete like you would prefer that a short-armed corner um also one who kind of had i think he's gonna be the kind of guy who draws penalties in the nfl so i could imagine him falling toward even like the third round actually but jalen johnson is it's just one of those things like he was the best corner probably the best defensive back actually on one of college football's best defenses like when we talk about this new era of sick pac-12 defenses i guess utah would be first and foremost what comes to mind and jalen johnson was the best secondary player on that defense even though he's i think the youngest corner in the draft uh he, he didn't test that great like you would probably say aj terrell tested better gladney probably did noah uh i don't know how to say his name those guys tested a little better than than jalen johnson did but he's also younger than them so i think with johnson a guy like him i i kind of just look at the results that he's posted so far indicate a substantial amount of skill. And even if he's not the biggest or fastest, he should fill in his frame a little bit within the next couple of years. And I don't think he'll lose his athleticism when he does. Cause he's like a little bit skinny right now. Um, but I think it's like, he could be a year from now, like six foot one ninety five, and still only runs like a four or five, two or whatever, but he's, he's skilled enough and big enough and, and, and good enough at playing corner to offset it. Whereas with Fulton, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that he's got just like uneven traits. Uh, like he's one of those guys who's a really good college player, but I don't know if it's traits are good enough to make the same style of play work at the next level. Uh, but if they want more, some, somebody more toolsy than a being again, he's, he seems like the athleticism guy. 
of, of that group. <clears throat> Whereas Terrell, maybe someplace in between, like he's athletic too. Like he, he he's uh, arguably more athletic than Igbina again, I guess. Uh, whereas Gladney, he's going to be like 24 as a rookie, good athlete, but no one's confusing him for Igbina again or anything. Yeah. And, and Gladney, you, you have the questions about like, can he really stick outside when you're five ten, one ninety one with, with the four five speed, um, you know, that that's something that generally plays more in the corner. And he, I mean, he had a great career at TCU. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it's obviously a, a different ball game, uh, moving up. Uh, so that, that could be a, a, you know, a pitfall for Gladney, but I, I still think that Gladney's a good player. I still think that he's yeah. a first round talent. Um, say that the dolphins keep pick 18, where do they go with it? Whew. Okay. So d- does that mean, who, did they take a quarterback or offensive tackle? We, we chose several different adventures, so I, yeah, yeah. I don't know how so to retrace say, all this. Okay. <laughs> so if, if they traded up for a tackle and then didn't trade back up for a, for a quarterback, that would really surprise me. But if they did that, then I guess it's going to be Jordan Love. Yeah, I think Jordan Love is still on the board here. Unless Herbert fell to 18, which I guess could happen if they don't take him before then. But uh, So yeah, let's let's say Herbert, and if not, Jordan Love. Or uh, if, they, if they, I don't know, like, all right, yeah, just just quarterback, uh, whoever it is, the highest ranked quarterback is probably who they take if they traded up for a tackle. If they took a quarterback and did not trade up for a tackle the first time, then let's say Austin Jackson or I don't know. Oh, that's what I had in my mock. Okay, all right, so yeah, now, now I feel validated. He's going in like 14 to 20, something like that. So whoever wants him, you can have him. There you go. Uh, I think he goes over someone like uh, – was it Josh Jones from Houston? Yes, uh, yeah. So and Ezra Cleveland. Ezra Cleveland could go ahead of uh, Josh Jones, but Ezra Cleveland to me, he, he's like the same as Kyle Long. Like if he plays outside, it's basically because they're a zone blocking scheme. Whereas Austin Jackson has the frame to do anything. He has like a Trent Williams kind of trait set. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So different players, but Cle- Cleveland like did well for himself at the combine. Honestly, I mean that that's why yeah, he he's even being uh, considered a, as a first rounder. Um, let's see what. So we just talked about what the Dolphins would do with their second pick, assuming the Raiders go receiver with their first one. Uh, how do they go from there with pick nineteen? Uh, so if if the Raiders took. CD Lamb or Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs at the first pick, then I think this is love. Or if it's this uh, extreme scenario where Herbert falls, then I guess they would take him too. But if if they take CD Lamb and and Herbert and Tua are off the board, I I feel like the Raiders are all but compelled to go after Jordan Love or Jalen Hurts in this draft because it's like, when are you guys going to take a quarterback? Like, are you really going to do this Derek Carr Marcus Mariota thing forever? They might. It would. I just gotta. I kind of got to give them the benefit of the doubt that they won't because that would be a silly thing to do. Yeah, it, it really would. Um, you know, and, you know, Gruden is on that that long guaranteed contract. But you, I think that people are going to start getting impatient if they're if they continue like with the rudderless direction, especially starting yeah. out in a new city there. So they, they need something to get a little bit more excited about, I think. So, yeah, I could see them going after a quarterback, whichever the best one uh, left on the board is. Um, as we move on into the 20s here. Um, let's see that this would be, this is the Jaguars Jaguars. Yeah. Yes. They had the Rams first round. That's right. That's right. So yeah. Uh, for me, it, even if Jacksonville takes Derek Brown at the ninth pick, I feel like in this range, their best option, I guess it could be a guy like Jalen Johnson or some other corner. Uh, AJ Terrell comes to mind. I would take Yetter gross Matos if he's on the board. I'm pretty convinced he's good. And I think so. 
like I, I've only been I've kind of been changing my opinion on Yes, Your Gross Matos, not in the sense that I'm like retracting my first one. It's just that it takes time to get to everyone in the draft and study them closely. And sometimes when you go into the second round or third round of studying someone, you start to notice things that you didn't the first couple times. Like my first pass through, I'm basically just trying to figure out who how I'm going to make a first round mock, you know? And it's like, okay, I determined he's a top 40. That's all I'm going to know about him for, until next week. And then it's like, I look a little more. I start to look at the criticisms people make of them. And Yetter Gross Matos' critics make really bad cases and that's making me that much more insistent that he's better than everyone thinks. Because if it's like if we're reasoning that he shouldn't be higher than 20 or 25 for reasons X, Y and Z and those things just aren't true, then I'm wondering, well, why the hell can't he go higher than that? And uh, I don't think he will. It just doesn't really seem like the market is there for him. But I think he's going to be a top 15 player in this draft. And if the Jaguars with their insane situation with uh, Yannick, like if there's, he, he's not going to play for them anymore. So they, Josh Allen is of course great on the other side, but if you can get, if you have two first round picks, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting another really good player opposite Allen. It's not like you're uh, mortgaging your quarterback position to do it. So I think that it makes sense for them to take yet most gross Matos, him, Josh Allen, Derek Brown would be pretty sick. Uh, Yetter Gross Matos looks really eerily similar to Chandler Jones for me. Ooh, that I like that comp. Uh, I actually had Gross Matos going to the Jags at pick 20 in my mock. So again, validation feels good. Uh, yeah, Gross Matos to me is the second best edge rusher in this class behind Chase Young. Um, yeah. I, I like him more than Chase on. Um, he's a Definitely. guy that um, he, he's been on my radar since, you know, I don't even remember which Penn State corner I was watching around this time last year but I kept being distracted by what like the havoc that Gross Matos was yeah. uh, wreaking along the offensive line there and yeah I mean it continued on this year um, he's a beast he's got the all the physical tools he's got long arms um, great first step he's got I mean if he's there at, at 20 for the Jaguars like and they can really kind of reinvent their defense on the fly here with their with their first two picks that would be huge for them I think that everyone would be applauding them if they ended up uh, going that route um, let's get on to the the Eagles here so uh, we were obviously talking about the Eagles potential thirst to, to go and get one of those first three receivers but assuming that those guys are off the board and they're picking there at 21 um, do you think that they punt receiver and you know I'll use this as a general discussion point here um, so last year you know it was viewed as a very very deep receiver class and it almost felt like the the entire league realized it at the same time and they're like well we can just we can just wait until the second, yeah. second or third day. We don't have to spend a, like it's not written in stone when there's going to be you know ten receivers that that are you know roughly in the same ballpark as far as our grading is concerned. So, do you think that if those first three are off the board, the Eagles may just address a different position here at twenty one? Yeah, it's totally possible. And as much as I don't think Jerry Judy falls especially close to them. I think they're candidates to trade up for CD Lamb or Jerry Judy. So I don't want to. I don't want to say like those guys are unrealistic exactly because I think they could justify that. The Eagles don't really have a lot of needs. Uh, they probably have the best situated offensive line in the whole league. They have their base offense more or less set. Even though the, everyone knows the receivers are underwhelming, it's like they're going with the two tight end offense. So as much as they're bad at receiver, they don't need receiver the same way another team with bad receivers would. 
and Miles Sanders is picking up a lot of the slack for the bad receivers too. So I can see them just not taking a receiver in the first round. But if they do, it's like, you know, why not get a star level prospect like CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy for a little more? I guess I guess someone could make an argument for Justin Jefferson at 21, uh, you know, as, as not just the best available, but like a better per pick expense return. Like they might say it's a better deal to get Justin Jefferson at 21 than CD lamb at 12. I would disagree very strongly with that, but if they take Justin Jefferson, it should be a fine pick. Like he's the odds of him being a truly bad player seem really minimum. The qu- the question is like, can he be anything more than maybe like a Marvin Jones type, which a, he doesn't really need to be Marvin Jones should have gone in the first round in his draft. Um, but you know, B it's like, that would be pretty nice. That would be a nice player to have, especially if, if the rest of the roster really is as good as it looks. If, if the offensive line is good and Carson Wentz can bounce back and these tight ends, these running backs are helping so much. And if the defense, which I don't know, it's deep at defensive tackle. I feel like they could use an edge rusher. So if they don't take Justin Jefferson at 21, I think they would be a really good uh, candidate to take chase on or yet gross matos. But otherwise, if none of those things are an option, I could see them trading back and taking a safety because they never replaced Malcolm Jenkins. And as far as Malcolm Jenkins goes, he, he had that pretty unique role in the defense where he would play a lot of slot corner. Right. Um, so he would, he would play a lot of slot corner and a guy like Antoine Winfield or Xavier McKinney would make a lot of sense to be a safety who steps up into the slot and maybe helps alleviate their corner issues in a subtle way. Yeah. Th- I think that that's definitely a good call in terms of they're close to being set, but you know, you would like to get some youth infusion at, at play at certain places, especially uh, there in that defensive backfield potentially um, as well. Um, let's get on to the Vikings here at pick 22 um this is is this the one that they got from the uh Texas? Buffalo, yeah okay or, i'm sorry buffalo um so i i think that we're on the same page that the vikings need to address receiver uh with one of these first two picks um do they do it with 22 i could see them going into the second round and not addressing receiver because i could see them trying to get a guy like michael Pittman in the second round which if they do it's like Touche. That would be good enough, I think. Uh, I don't think Tajay Sharp is good enough, but if you get Michael Pittman in the second round, I won't complain about how you didn't take a receiver in the first. If they don't take a receiver in the first, then it's because they doubled up at the secondary. Antoine Winfield, I think, would make sense for the Vikings, too. It's like Harrison Smith's getting older. Anthony Harris had one good year, and they're not committing to him long term. So whatever. If, if Especially if Winfield can play in the, that nickel corner kind of role while also playing base formation safety i think the vikings could justify taking him and a corner be it aj terrell uh again jeff gladney don't really care they could double up at corner take two of a guy like terrell gladney again um but otherwise if it's a receiver i think it's going to be somebody like jalen rager or brandon Ayuk, and i of course safely prefer jalen rager sure uh, i don't know where the NFL stands on that. It seems like those two are going to go in a pretty similar range though. Yeah. I think that, I think it seems to be trending that both of those guys will, will go in the twenties. I think Rager might be at risk of falling into round two, but Ooh. yeah, I mean, I'm just saying what I'm not like the you. sense that I get. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it feels like, uh, Ayuk is definitely going to be like a top 25 pick, um, at this point, but whoever, whoever ends up with Rager after pick 25, I think will be plenty happy with it. One of the tougher like blocks in uh, the in doing a mock draft, I feel like, is what the Patriots are going to do at pick twenty three. 
Yeah, they're definitely doing a bit of a rebuild, and it's just hard to tell. Are they doing tank for Trevor, or are they going to try to do this thing where they're they're the the wild card team for a year or two? And either approach is viable, I guess. But uh, if they want a defender at this pick, I think it's going to be a guy like Patrick Queen, who at linebacker he's a little lighter, not quite as athletic as Kenneth Murray, but he's. He seems highly advanced in coverage, and Belichick likes that versatility and coverage ability. That the ability to, if if Patrick Queen can put a surprise zone coverage on a slot receiver that the quarterback doesn't read on the pre-snap, like that's the kind of stuff that Belichick likes to set up. So I can imagine Queen being a target at twenty-three. Uh, if Yetcher Gross Matos is there, I would expect them to be very interested. Maybe Chase on if he falls there. Um, but I also think they could really be going at a guy like those safeties who can play the the slot position like Xavier McKinney and Antoine Winfield. So um, I'm guessing it's, it's like a safety like that, a Patrick queen type or an edge defender. Uh, I guess they could consider a guy like Ezra Cleveland. If they're, if they're playing like a long offensive line rebuild thing slash, I don't know if they really should keep Isaiah win at left tackle. That's still, that's still very strange to me. So something like that, uh, I think they can take a best player available and, and get a decent return for the spot yeah th- i think that whichever direction that they go in it it'll probably end up working out it is the patriots after all um let's get on to the saints saints another team that kind of tough to really nitpick and and find a, a glaring weakness um on the, at least among the top line of their depth chart on both sides of the ball there so uh what do you think the saints do I think a corner like Gladney would make a lot of sense to kind of counter Calvin Ridley. It's like you got Lattimore to shadow guys like Mike Evans and Julio Jones, but you got Calvin Ridley there. You don't want to cover him with another Lattimore. A guy like Gladney is a, is a good counter to that sort of short, quick sort of receiver. Um, but otherwise, I think it's going to be either Rager or Ayuk. Okay, yeah, I, could, I think that receiver is is definitely a spot um, of interest for, for the Saints. Um, so I could, I could see them going in that direction as well. Um, we kind of covered uh, both of those Vikings picks um, yeah. just a minute ago. Um, looking at pick 26, this is the Dolphins' potential third uh, pick of the first round and and in our scenario they've addressed tackle and quarterback here so uh, they could continue to to build uh, which way are they going to go with that uh, it could be really anywhere I guess other than linebacker perhaps uh, li- anywhere other than linebacker and corner don't know what they make of the safeties but uh, they they presumably could use one their offensive line could use more attention yet so if uh let's say they took whatever tristan Wirfs and jordan love with their first two picks uh they could either take an offensive lineman of pretty much any kind or i don't know i guess they could take a running back at this spot it could be taylor it could be swift it could be clyde edwards hilaire uh i think or, or Dobbins, I guess, even, but some some sort of I don't know that collection of players. Do you feel like Dobbins has gotten kind of for, lost in the narrative about this entire draft? I feel like he hasn't been talked about at all. Some people, it's weird. There's, I guess, it's just people have their their favorites this year at running back because you got some. I know some people who are just like banging the drum. They're like Dobbins is the best, and it's like I don't even really disagree. I think Dobbins is really good. So it's like I'm never going to argue with Dobbins super fans because. I don't even really consider myself that far away from them. Um, But yeah, there's definitely because he didn't run at the combine and because 
I'm convinced there's just like this whole issue of the Southeastern uh, recruiting complex uh, dominating our, our scouting rooms and, and even NFL media. Like I, they're obsessed with DeAndre Swift in most NFL media slash scouting communities. I basically just think it's it's like regionalism. I think I think it's like guys are banding together to to stop the uh, the horrible advance of, of the northern Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I don't know that. I don't know how else to explain it because to have such a strong opinion of like this guy over the rest of them <clears throat> other than Taylor, of course, cause he's the correct answer in my opinion. Um, so it just, it seems like people are, are making at best like aesthetic or like <clears throat> just, yeah, just like regional favoritism or something. I, I can't imagine being against any of those first four running backs. Well, but Swift's from Philly. He's Northern. Right. But and Dobbins know, the, is from it, Texas. The sec is like, has a GDP higher than probably like most continents. And, and I, I bet they, uh, I bet they, I bet they get some suction in media as a result. Yeah, that's a good point. Although, I mean, Ohio state kind of its own exception that they're like, an, they recruited an sec level in the big 10 and that's why they pretty much always win the big 10. They uh, both agree that Jonathan Taylor is a, a no good, slow loser who fumbles only a carpet bagger. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I think, Bottom line here, I I think that 26 is that inflection point for, for the first running back to come off the board. Um, I think that there probably is only one that comes off in the in the first round, although the, the Chiefs uh, certainly could be in the market too. That would really uh, stink for my dynasty team as a Damian Williams haver. Um, Maybe not. But we'll I see. Mean, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, I think if, if Miami takes a running back at 26, then at 27, I think Seattle's best case scenario for a pick would be austin jackson but i don't think he'll be available for them i saw people talking about isaiah wilson i don't think that's correct i I feel like that was that would not be in seattle's nature they're they're talking about how they're going to take isaiah wilson because they took jermaine effetti before and jermaine effetti is only similar to wilson in that they're both huge and from the sec like effetti was a way better athlete than wilson and I, i know that wilson's uh, I, I like Wilson and his selling point never really had that much to do with athleticism. So I don't care. But the point is Seattle chases just spark scores for the most part, LJ Collier or whatever aside, he, he's like the slowest uh, defensive end ever. And they liked him last year, but offensive lineman types, I think it's Austin Jackson and Ezra Cleveland that Seattle would look at. If they don't go after either of them, then it might be for a linebacker like Kenneth Murray, uh, Patrick queen, one thing that I will, I'm pretty sure about is that Seattle will not take a corner. I've, I know that people think Trevon Diggs is going to sneak into the first round, and they think that Seattle is going to be uh, the clincher to save them with their over-under bets. I don't think Seattle will consider <laughs> a corner for the first three rounds, and I don't think Diggs goes in the first 40 picks. Yeah, I, I, did, yeah, it's definitely cooled off uh, for Diggs a, a fair bit, but interesting, like identifying where or which directions uh, the Seahawks can go, and and uh, I thought it was good stuff there as as to uh, the type of offensive lineman uh, that they would target. Although I think Wilson is the best of the, that bunch, but maybe he doesn't match the profile. They could take him. Yeah, um, let's get on pick twenty eight. What are the Ravens doing? I think Rager would be the best case scenario, but I don't quite think he's going to make it that far. So more realistically, Cesar Ruiz, the the center guard from Michigan. Uh, otherwise, I what I would do if I was Baltimore, ideally, is take Rager at 28. And then the Ravens have like two or three second and third round picks. So I would just try to trade up from the late second round to like the 35th pick or something like that. And then take 
either Cesar Ruiz if he falls there. And if he, if he doesn't, I also like Lloyd Cushenberry a lot. That whole LSU offensive line is underrated in a way that makes no sense at all. Uh, like Sadiq Charles, the, the other, the third one that I can't remember, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, those guys kept Burrow really clean last year. And uh, yeah, if they can't get, if they can get Cesar Ruiz and Jalen Rager or Jalen Rager and Lloyd Cushenberry, I think that would make the Ravens offense that much more frightening. Um, but yeah, it's something like that. The Ravens have never taken an LSU player. Can you believe that? Oh, uh, I mean, but it's only been like uh, 24 years <laughs> or something. And it's not, yeah. And LSU just hasn't turned out any talent in that window. Yeah. There's it's, you can't find any like that. Uh, although, I mean, Perhaps they would have taken an LSU player in hindsight over, you know, Sergio Kindle or whatever. Uh, yeah, I gave Sergio Kindle like a, a shout out. I think on the on the radio thing with with uh, Liss and Jeff, the all time draft busts, because people don't. He was a second round pick, but he was the Ravens' first pick that year, and uh, he had one. Career he was hyped tackle. as like a top ten pick. Yeah, one career. He, he tackle. was like hyped. He was hyped as like a top ten pick, and then he had that you know kind of sad disturbing story about falling down the stairs or whatever yes uh, and then they got him in the second round and yeah he just like never did anything yeah whoever uh was responsible for getting tackled by him uh, i hope they retired immediately too but <laughs> yeah it's too bad sad story he was probably good uh, just bad luck but yeah i, th- I think a, a, sp- a speedy yards after the threat and downfield threat at receiver would make it would it seems impossible because they're maxed out, but I think it would be like a less stressful version of the same high scoring offense. Like there wouldn't be as much dependency on Lamar's heroics basically. Okay. I, I could see that. Yeah. I think that they definitely need to add at receiver. I just, I'm not sure which way they go. Um, I think that it, the interior offensive line, like you said, with, with Ruiz, uh, if he's still there, um, they might just go ahead and grab him because interior offensive That'll line work. not nearly as deep um, as receiver this year, so that they could you know use those use those second round picks to move around to get the receiver that they want on day two, but but still lock down a, a guard that they like uh, with their first pick. Uh, the Titans, kind of an interesting one. I, I had a hard time f- figuring out which direction that they were going to go in. I ended up giving them Zach Bond, but I'm not sure that he really fits what what their front seven does. Um, so I. I'm not sure uh, how that ends up. What do you think? I think they're pretty well set at linebacker uh, and in the front seven generally. But at corner, I feel like they have a glaring need because Adoree Jackson's good. I guess Malcolm Butler's defensible to some extent. But Logan Ryan is a free agent still. There's no particular indication that they're going to be able to reach an agreement with him. And if they don't, you can't go into the year with whatever – LaShawn Sims is your third corner or whatever. So I think Tennessee will take either Jeff Gladney or Noah. I guess they could take Trevon Diggs, but that would be surprising to me because then they really have no one who could cover the slot in in that defense slash. I, I just don't think Diggs is that good. Um, but Gladney, Igbenagin, they would both, I think, do the trick. It's just like the question is for Vrabel, like, do you want the polished uh, more veteran guy like Gladney or do you want the raw former receiver convert with a little more athleticism who's younger in Igbenagin and uh, either one would be a good pick it's just kind of like which aesthetic do you prefer uh, when you said that I just remembered that I do remember uh, Igbenagin being a receiver at, at Auburn and, and making that switch I feel like I might have even like done it like a player. Dory Jackson <laughs> 
Precisely. At USC. Same See. thing. Same guy. And yeah, and then he can be friends with Adore Jackson. Like it it just it makes a lot they of sense. They can talk to Chris saying. Gamble about how they <laughs> liked being receivers more. <laughs> we needed more Chris Gamble references on this podcast. So I'm, I'm yes. glad I'm glad you hit that. Um all right, we got three picks left. Uh let's run through them. Packers, what do they do? If Justin Jefferson doesn't go to the Eagles at twenty one, he's going to the Packers at thirty. Love it. Um let's go uh pick thirty one. I think that the Niners are moving off of this one way or the other. I just don't know who, but I think uh, you you had a, a sniff out for Indianapolis um, as a potential trading partner because they have a lot of early second round capital to move around to maybe get back into the first. Also, if Indianapolis is going to take a quarterback in this draft, it's like they probably need to take that guy no later than the second round. And in this case, it's, it's basically just Jalen Hurts who's left. Um, but they, they know they need to take him in the second. And if you know you need to take him in the second, it might be worth spending a fourth-round pick to add another year to his contract since you're, you're not having him compete with Phillip Rivers this year. And you know he might be a little more raw generally than some other prospects. So I think getting the extra year on Hurts would make sense, especially if it turns into like a two-year grooming plan rather than a one-year one um but yeah if, if if san francisco stays at 31 and a guy like ezra cleveland is on the board and, and if they didn't take austin jackson or somebody like that or jedrick wills at 13 a tackle at 31 would make sense uh i think it's going to be it would be someone like cleveland though i don't think isaiah wilson is really a shanahan type but uh in any case yeah if it's hurts if it's a uh, a running back, a receiver, I don't know. There could be interest there in the 49ers. If they don't trade back from the first one, they probably will want to trade back from the second one. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. Um, and I think Indianapolis makes all the sense in the world for, for that one. Um, and I think you, lay, you laid it out uh, well there if, if San Francisco ends up sticking there. Um, and then let's round it out. The reigning Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, what do they do? I guess they could take somebody like Zach Bond or, or some other linebacker. If Kenneth Murray falls that far, that would be pretty tempting for them. The only thing bad about the Chiefs roster is its linebackers. Pretty much everything else is kind of set, in my opinion. You could say they could they could have an upgrade at corner. That would that would be useful. But I don't know if there's one on the board at this point. Uh, like Noah Igbinagin would be the closest thing, I suppose. But I think it would help them a lot more to have a guy like Jonathan Taylor than it would a player like Noah Beanagin because they, they kind of had like a little bit of a money ball corner thing where they just asked Travarius Ward to cover a third and the, and the other corner covered the third and then Tyron Matthew handles the slot with, with Thornhill doing center field stuff over the top. So I don't know if they really need a corner and I don't know if a linebacker is good enough, but if, if they didn't take Taylor, I think it would probably because of like a guy like Murray falling. I don't think, I don't know if I expect bond to go in the first 40 picks after that combine thing. Like he's already a 50 year guy. So it's, it's a, I don't know. No Wisconsin linebackers have really torn it up the way that they did at Wisconsin. It's like uh Schobert's been the best one, but like Beagle burned out. TJ Edwards hasn't done anything. I, I don't know if Bond's going to get. What's like, Van Ginkle up to these days? Yes. Um, I, so yeah, I thought Bond seemed like a good prospect, but I'm I'm having trouble guessing what he is. And I don't know if I, obviously I'm very biased. I I'm in a minority fringe minority at the way I look at, at Jonathan Taylor. But if I was the Chiefs, even as a Damian Williams fan, I would take Taylor because he could average like seven yards of carry in that offense oh man that would that would be uh, ridiculous and then then we'd be talking about it a couple years down the line how we're tired of the chiefs the way that we talk about 
uh, like the Patriots dynasty. Yeah, I'll, I'll hate Jonathan Taylor by then. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, so we ran through the first round there. Any parting shots here uh, before we sign off? Not really, man. I'm just kind of sick imagining all the news that happened while we were focusing on this. Like, we're just going to close <laughs> this and be like, no. <laughs> it's all no! it's all completely obsolete. So, yeah. Yeah, let's let's hope that the draft order hasn't been completely inverted, uh, torn to pieces, patched back together like some horrible Frankenstein monster. Yeah, and and with that, let's go ahead and log back on. All right, for Mario Puig, I'm John McCackney. Thanks for listening to the special draft edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast. We'll be back again next week, breaking down everything that happened in the draft. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring this podcast unified healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by energy enhancement system or ee system if you haven't heard of the ee system you'll want to listen up this technology promotes wellness deep relaxation purification and rejuvenation at hundreds of locations across the globe Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.